Revelation 18, verses 1 through 10. The fall of Babylon the Great proclaimed and mourned. Hear now the word of Almighty God. Revelation 18, 1 through 10. And after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and is become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. Reward her even as she rewarded you, and double unto her, double, according to her works. In the cup which she hath filled, fill to her double. How much she hath glorified herself and lived deliciously, so much torment and sorrow give her. For she saith in her heart, I sit a queen, and am no widow, and shall see no sorrow. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. And the kings of the earth, who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her, shall bewail her and lament for her, when they shall see the smoke of her burning, standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. Thus far the reading of God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible word, Revelation 18, verses 1 through 10. Verses 1 through 3, we have the fall of mystery Babylon and the reasons for it. Remember, this was the name given to her in chapter 17, verse 5. Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. After these things, verse 1 tells us, I ask you to turn to your handout if you have it, page 2 of your handout for the book of Revelation, just to remind us where we've been. We had the seals, then we had the uh, vision of the trumpets, we had in chapter 16 the execution of the vials, which seems to be the seventh trumpet opens up and becomes the vials. In chapter 16 we have a very brief and quick rundown. Verses 1 through 9 we have the first four vials, reprobates and idolaters judged and cursed. In verses 10 through 14, we have the fifth and sixth vials, 
the Eastern and the Western Antichrist judged and Armageddon prepared for. There was consolation given in verses 15 and 16 of chapter 16 that Christ would come and bless those who were watchful. Then finally in verses 17 through 21 we have the execution of the seventh vial, the filling up of the final wrath of God in the harvest of the world proclaimed. There was earthquake, hail, and destruction. Hail the size that would kill any human living coming down from God in heaven. Then in verses 1 through the end of chapter 17, we have a preface to the exposition of these fifth, sixth, and seventh vials. The mystery of the whore and of the beast in chapter 17, God gives us extensive detail on what sort of beings these creatures are. He told us about the location where the beast would sit and that the woman would ride atop the beast, even the seven hills of Rome. So we have Mystery Babylon given in exposition and explanation to lay the groundwork for what happens in chapter 18, which is what? The Mystery Babylon is burned and destroyed. Now we saw this very cursorily in chapter 16, where we had the fifth vial poured out by God where? Upon the seat of the beast. And who, pray tell, is the seat of the beast? It is the woman herself sitting upon the beast on the seven hills of Rome. So now in this 18th chapter, God is going to give us extensive detail on the fall of this woman and the mourning of all her dependents. That is, those who made a profit off of her traffic in fornication. So first then, verses 1 through 3 of chapter 18, we have the fall of mystery Babylon and the reasons for it. I saw another angel come down from heaven. Now if an angel comes down from heaven, you can mark it down, God sent him. He's come with a message from God himself. God has commissioned him. In fact, the word angel, as we'll see later in the word promise, means a sending forth with a message to speak. An angel is just a messenger. It doesn't mean they're a specific type of being, although there are those that we call angels that are spirits and have no bodies, that's fine. But sometimes the Bible uses angel to describe men as well. In any case, God sent a messenger from heaven giving his word to declare to the nations. This message will seem incredible. People will have a hard time believing it, which is why he sends an angel to declare it. God is the source of this message. God is the author of this message. God is the executor of his wrath revealed by this message. God is the judge of the one who's being judged. All this God sent from heaven. Notice, God gave this angel Mega power, as the Greek says. Great power. As there was the great river Euphrates, chapter 16, verse 12. The great Babylon, chapter 16, verse 19, and also verse 2 of this chapter. Or as the mega whore in chapter 17, verse 1. This angel has mega power, great power, to accomplish exactly the message God gave him. The Dutch annotations say the following, The making use of such instruments showeth 
that God thinketh it a great work? Would God send just any piddling angel if it were some small work? Yes. Would he send a mighty angel if it were a great work? Yes. God is showing this work is great and glorious. He has great power. And the earth was lightened with his glory. Now when the sun rises, there are only certain portions of the earth that receive her light. But here notice, when this angel comes with this message, is there any place on earth that is hidden from this light? Are there some who will stay in the dark regarding this matter? No, it will become so far published, everyone will see it. The light will shine on the whole earth with the glory of this angel. I note then this doctrine that the fall of spiritual Babylon is one of God's great works. As the final resurrection, he's going to send the archangel. So the fall of Babylon, he sends a mighty angel to declare these truths, a mega angel with mega power. He cried mightily with a strong voice. Notice again, God piling up a strong voice, crying mightily so that everyone could hear. As the light shone everywhere, the voice is heard everywhere. Babylon the great is fallen. That's enough right there. But notice, he doubles it. Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. It's happened, it's done. In fact, the verb fallen is before the subject of the sentence Babylon is fallen, is fallen emphatically, Babylon the great, once for all. God emphasizes by repetition and by putting the verb fallen first before the subject of the sentence Babylon, know of a certainty it's as good as if it were already done, Babylon fallen. John Trapp notes, that this repetition of the verb fallen means certainly, swiftly, and completely. Now this language is borrowed from Isaiah chapter 21 verse 9, where the Lord prophesies of the fall of literal political Babylon. This though is mystic Babylon, mystery Babylon, the mother of whores, the mega whore, from chapter 17, verses 1 through 5 of Revelation. This prophetic past tense, as if it had already happened in time past, shows that once the work is begun, it will infallibly be completed. It has become the habitation of devils, it says. Graveyards where those possessed of demons would dwell. Desert places. Remember Christ in Matthew 12? When the unclean spirit leaves the house, where does it go? Desert places where no one lives. In other words, Babylon's inhabitants will leave her. No one will be left. She has become the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Cages for those wicked, unclean spirits. Now remember, Babylon, as we're going to see in her description, she's going to be clothed in purple. She's going to have scarlet. She's going to have pearls. She's going to have beauty and glory. She's going to have all the wealth and riches 
the wonderful dining and smells. She's going to have everything you could want. But notice, although she is gilded and beautiful and glorious from an earthly, earthly perspective, what actually inhabits this wicked city? Foul spirits, unclean and hateful birds. Durham comments, haunted and inhabited by none but ghosts or ill spirits and furies and foul and unclean creatures such as owls and wild rats. How'd you like to have a city filled with owls and wild rats screeching with demons and all sorts of uncleanness? Now, this has always been the case since her days of Wormwood. She has had foul spirits. In fact, she has had the power to open hell and to release the smoke and all the foul demons come forth. But now it's exposed, isn't it? Once she's fallen and her defenses go away, everyone can see there is no beauty here. It is nothing but foulness. John Trapp comments, In the year 610 of our Lord, Boniface IV instituted the Feast of All Saints. Anybody ever heard of Halloween? That means the Feast of Saints is November 1st. The even before All Saints or All Hallows Day is the 31st of October because the Pope said in 610 AD we should have All Saints Day to celebrate all the martyrs and saints that we may worship their images. He begged of the Emperor the Pantheon of Rome which he consecrated to the honor of all saints and guess what he did? Do you know who the mother of all their gods was in the pantheon at Rome? It was Sybil. Do you know who he put there? The Virgin Mary. He took away all their heathen deities and said, okay, now for Sybil, let's have Mary. Let's take all their demons and let's call them Christian names and let's make statues and let's have a day to celebrate all the saints, foul spirits, unclean birds, the hold of such. Let us not lust after her idols, her mock Christianity, her mixture of heathenism and Judaism. Let us properly assess what God says of this whore of Rome. He says what? Unclean, foul, wicked, hellish. That's what he says. Sumptuous, lustful, evil. Washing the outside so it looks beautiful and has gold on the cup. But do you remember what was in her cup? Her golden chalice, what was inside? Abominations and filthiness, he said. Now, were just a few people deceived by this woman? No. Verse 3, all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. They worshipped her graven images, which provoked Christ, the true husband of his church, to wrath. They followed in her harlotries and they said, if you don't worship as he says, off with your head. We'll banish you, we'll kill you, we'll imprison you, we'll burn you. And notice, not only the kings, but the merchants of the earth. They waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. Now a merchant is different from a store owner in the Bible. You'd have a local guy who would sell his wares. He might grow 
or he might catch, or he might hunt, or he might produce. Then he brings it to the local market and he sells his wares. A merchant does not do that. A merchant says, I'm going to go to foreign lands away from my home country, and I'm going to get goods that everybody here wants but nobody has. And do you know what happens when you have goods that everybody wants and nobody has? What happens to the price? It goes up and up and up. Merchants take advantage of their countrymen by going and taking foreign things and bringing it to sell to the people and say, look, don't you want these beautiful goods? We're going to see later he's had, he has goods from China, from North Africa. He had goods all the way from Egypt, and he would bring them to his people and sell them to him. From Tyre, from Sidon, all these foreign delicacies and beautiful things he brings and sells. Now, what is a spiritual merchant? Well, God has his home country, does he not? He has his kingdom, we call it. Who is the king in God's kingdom? Jesus Christ. What are the homegrown goods in the kingdom of Jesus Christ? His laws, his promises, his commandments, his doctrines, his worship. What do merchants do? Are they content with the homegrown goods of the gospel? No. Are they content with the words and statutes of the king? No. What do merchants do? Let's go find some foreign and exotic thing. Let's mix together the heathen doctrines, the Jewish doctrines. Let's have a priesthood. Let's offer incense. Let's take graven images and mix them all together. Merchants. A profitable trade, I might add. The kings of the earth give their public defense of all of her harlotry, and the merchants say, well, somebody's got to sell these goods. Why not me? All nations drinking of her wine of fornication. The merchants waxing rich, going to foreign parts to make a profit off the people of God with these foreign spiritual whoredoms of Babylon. I note then, sacred scripture is the king's rule for his holy nation. And should men take you somewhere else, they're making merchandise of you, as Peter says. Verses 4 through 8, we have a warning to flee and a command to help with the destruction of this whore. Verse 4 tells us, I heard another voice from heaven, an unnamed person. Not an angel sent from heaven, as verse 1, but now a voice echoing down from heaven, perhaps God himself, as we'll see. Verse 4, he says, come out of her. She is a city. She has walls. Leave. Get out. Come out of her, he says, my people. And this verb, this command, is what we call the aorist imperative. Now, an imperative is a command where God or someone else who's talking to you, they appeal to your will. Do this, don't do that. Those are imperatives. An aorist imperative means as a point in time, do it right away. Don't let it slide. Don't do it later. Do it immediately with a sense of urgency. Get it done. That's the form of the verb. Come out of her right away. Do it urgently. Do it immediately. Remember when Lot was in Sodom? That what did they do? They took him by the hand and said, Come now! 
And he said what? Can I wait? You know, it's not that big of a deal. Come now so that we can destroy this city, the angels told him. So here, come out immediately. Lot was told to flee Sodom. When the earth was about to open up in the days of Korah, what did Moses say? Get away from them. Flee. Run. Why? Lest thou be consumed with their destruction. Lest you partake in their plagues. Jesus said the same of Jerusalem. When you see these signs, what did he say? Flee to the hills. Get out right away. Why? Because you'll be judged with them if you stick around. Here, spiritually, Babylon has those in her pale, chosen by God but not called, and God issues a call and says, destruction is coming, get out. Don't stay there any longer. You can't do any good. You can't fix her. You can't reform her. Get out. That she be not partakers of her sins. She is a whore. You're a friend of a whore. What do you think will happen to you? You think you'll remain, oh, I can be strong. I am wise. No, you can't be strong. You will partake in her sins, and therefore you will partake of her judgment. We are weak. God says to flee youthful lusts, to run the other way from idolatry, to turn our back on temptation. We don't pray, lead us not into temptation, then you lead yourself into it. Does that make any sense? You're going to ask God, provide me my daily bread, but I'm not going to work? No. Flee, run away, he says, get out. Her sins have reached unto heaven. Or they have followed one on another all the way up as a stairway leading up to heaven, calling for God to judge. And did God forget her iniquities? He remembered them. He's going to judge them. He forgets nothing. But when a man remembers, what does he do? He acts. He does something. Oh, yeah, I was supposed to go and do this and such. And he goes and does it. God is going to act He's going to judge. He's going to remember and account for all of her iniquities. God will judge. God will act. Let us then fear the judgments of God. Do we have secret sins that no man knows about? Your parents don't know. Your friends don't know. I don't know. Magistrates don't know. You know who knows? God. And you know what he does? He'll remember them. He will judge them. There is no secret sin before God only before creatures. God punishes every act of disobedience. It is against his infinite majesty and glory. The flames of hell are not enough to satisfy his justice, so they go on forever. Flee then from the wrath of God. Turn from Babylon and her ways and turn from your sins, trusting not in your righteousness, but rather in the righteousness of Christ, which can withstand the fury of Almighty God. Receive this good news. Lay hold of the Savior. God in his grace saves those that trust in his Son. They are commanded then, after having fled, they are commanded to turn on the whore, render or reward unto her, pay her back as she paid you back. Again, urgently, immediately, all of you, with all determination, pay her back in kind. As your station and place will allow, 
The kings, what will they do? Burn the city. What will the people do? Speak against them. Flee away from them. What should the ministers do? Denounce them. Call down God's judgment. Preach against them and pray, O oh God, cause thy kingdom to come and this whorish woman to be burnt with fire. Reward her as she has rewarded you. Double unto her according to her works. She did the wrong first. It is now but justice to repay her. She would have entirely stamped out the church of Christ, you know. She, the church had to do what? Flee into the wilderness. Why? Because this dragon and this beast were trying to kill the woman and destroy her. So now, pay her back. This is the recompense of the wicked. She hath glorified herself, and here's the measure. As she glorified herself, so torment her. As she has exalted herself, let her partake in the judgment. The measure of her self-deification, her self-glorification, will be the measure of her fall and her torment. This is why pride is such a wicked sin. The higher we exalt ourselves in pride, do you know what it means? The farther we have to fall. If we humble ourselves before God and go down, what will God do? He will raise us up. If we exalt ourselves before God, what will he do? He will throw us down, he says. She exalted herself, glorified herself. I sit, she says, as a queen. Now this word sit is where we get our word cathedral from. I have a cathedra. I have a royal seat. And I sit... As a queen, she says, ruling and reigning. This is where we get our word basilica from. You ever heard of a basilica? That's where the bishops of the church reign over the church. The cathedra is where they sit and govern as kings. So she says, I sit a queen. Now, the king ought to be ruling, should he not? The queen should be in submission to the king, should she not? Where is the king? not in Babylon, kicked out of the city. And when he sent two witnesses, what did Babylon do to the witnesses? Killed them. She sits as a queen. She's enthroned, boasting herself as one who sits in the temple of God, the Dutch annotations say, as if he were God exalting himself in the secular realm above all kings and princes and in the ecclesiastical realm above all councils, bishops, and prelates who as a mother and queen of all churches cannot fail nor err, whose seat cannot go to ruin, and much more of these similar proud titles. Now, if you are interested, I have a handout. I think I kept it here somewhere. Here we go. This handout is from a book defending the church and its authority. And you will notice here sits a queen with a crown on top of her head. In one hand, she has the two kings of the church and the state. In the other hand, she has the decretals of the church of Rome. Guess who's underneath? Calvin and Luther. And guess what's with them? The Bible. The Bible of Calvin. The Bible of Luther. She sits as a queen, showing forth her light and ruling over all things. So she says. David Piraeus comments, 
This is proper to Rome, for she boasteth that she is lady or queen of all churches and kingdoms. In sign whereof they paint the church of Rome, sitting as a queen on a throne, crowned with a royal diadem, holding in her right hand the book of decretals with a papal cope on it, and in her left hand two keys. This is the queen. This is she who boasts herself of her royal dominion. I am no widow, she says. I have a husband. I'm not bereft of a husband. I have lots of kids. Who are you to say that I'm a harlot, she's saying, in other words. I have no sorrow, but notice verse 8. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, rapidly, unexpectedly, unstoppably, as Babylon itself. Do you remember? How long did it take for the Medes and the Persians to overcome Babylon? A day. That was it. God overthrew it. They overtook it. That was the end. So also spiritual Babylon, death, mourning, and famine, from her prosperous state to total destruction in one day, God prophesies. She shall be utterly burned with fire, as we saw the kings do in chapter 17, verse 16. Her friends and lovers shall turn upon her at the very moment providence has designed. Why? How can this happen? How can this be? This is impossible. Don't you understand how big, how rich, how glorious, how infallible she is? Why? For the Lord is strong that judgeth her. God will judge. He will put an end. The time is appointed. At the end of it, it's done. One day, finished. Then the kings lament. They committed fornication. They lived deliciously with all kinds of sensual pleasures with her. They lent their power unto the beast. They committed idolatry with this woman. They promoted her idols. They were enriched by her witchcraft. And some have turned and burned the whore and some still hold with her. She will have devotees even until the day of Armageddon as we shall see. They still promote her idolatry. They still hold fast. Even unto the end, they will not give up. And when they see her destroyed, they bewail her, it says. They lament for her. As those that beat their breast in sorrow, mourning the loss of their pleasures and their profits from her. They see the smoke ascend. Verse 9 tells us, Rome burned, sacked, destroyed, cut down to the ground. You know, this has happened before, but what happened? Rome sprung up again and again and again, but God has a day where Rome will not spring up again, as we'll see in the second half of this chapter. They will stand afar off. They can't help. There's nothing they can do. They fear to draw near because they will be consumed in the destruction of the city. And here they say, alas, alas, woe, woe, that great Babylon curses upon mega Babylon. Her pleasures were but passing follies. Her curses mount up. That's what alas means, curses, woe, and sorrow. For in one hour is thy judgment come. As Jeremiah the prophet said, Babylon is suddenly fallen and destroyed. 
howl for her, take balm for her pain, if so be she may be healed. But notice, spiritual Babylon will have no balm. She will have no healing. She will be destroyed and that will be the end. And thus far the exposition of Revelation 18 verses 1 through 10.